Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck, to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 122 I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Esther, chapter 7 So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. The queen, Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, this man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, An adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the queen, king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king explained, Will he even molest the queen while she is in with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of fifty cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9-20 through 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, 
Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see that the voice was speaking to me. And then, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This morning's reading from Revelation uh, the first chapter is honestly what some of the most uh, lucid stuff in Revelation, the stuff that seems to make the most sense uh, and is clear and kind of straightforward. Um, Revelation goes into a whole lot of um, metaphor, hyperbole, simile, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's almost like John was you know, high when he was writing it, but um, there's this one little thing that I thought is worth uh, touching on, um, and that is the the seven stars that the, that Jesus is holding in his hand. And he says, "These are the angels of the seven churches." Um, and I want to talk about it briefly because it was uh, there's a, a book series um, by an author. Uh, named Walter Wink, and he wrote on nonviolence and stuff. And I, I read a bunch of his stuff um, as I was getting out, trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian soldier. Um, it was actually quite helpful. Um, he, um, the he wrote a trilogy um, called uh, "The Powers That Be." Um, in fact, "The Powers That Be" was the name of another book that came out that kind of summarized it all. But there was um, unmasking the powers naming the powers and engaging the powers. And that trilogy, um, among other things, um, set up this argument that, um, and again, this this writer is nonviolent, or he's a pacifist, he's writing about nonviolence, it's kind of what he's known for. He died recently, actually, um, just a few years ago. Um, and Walter Wink um, claims that um, every created thing, um, including human institutions, um, and his his interest was institutions. The powers are, you know, it kind of comes from um, the idea of powers and principalities from Romans 13. Every created thing, even created by human beings, um, is created good, everything has become corrupt, and everything is in need of redemption. And I read... 
um, the powers that be while I was still on active duty, um, as I was thinking about being a Christian soldier, should I seek you know, discharge as a conscientious objector? Um, and that argument that he sets up and lays out really um, interestingly in the powers that be um, was actually really helpful for thinking about the military. And I didn't, be- I didn't have the same like clarity about it as I do now. Um, but this is related to um, the angels because he uses revelation and this talk of the seven churches and the seven, seven angels of the churches. And revelation goes on and on into it. Um, and these angels, so every person has a soul. Um, but every institution has an angel that is created or is whatever. So let's say um, Walmart, for example. Walmart, um, because it's a human institution, has an angel that represents the spirit of Walmart. Um, and uh, Walmart, whatever you think of Walmart, um, Wink would argue it was created good, it's become corrupt. And it's in need of redemption. Um, So if you are not a big fan of Walmart, hearing that it was created good might be a bitter pill to swallow. But Wink insists that that you cannot create anything bad. It's not possible. And he draws from Augustine the idea that badness, evil, doesn't actually exist. It's like cold. Cold is the absence of heat or the absence of light. Um... And darkness is the absence of light. They don't actually exist. They only exist in what Augustine called privation, in the absence of the actual thing. So it doesn't make sense to talk about darkness um, as a thing unless you're talking about darkness as the absence of light. Um, And so you cannot, God cannot create anything bad, and therefore humans cannot create anything bad. Everything is created good, but it's almost immediately become corrupt and it's in need of redemption. So Walmart was created good. Mr. Walton wanted to sell whatever goods on the side of the store. I don't know what the hell it is. Um, but as it evolved and aged and grew, it became corrupt. Because um, uh, that's what free will does. It, it lends itself towards bad choices. And now Walt, you know, Walmart, Mr. Walton's creation, has become corrupt and it needs to be redeemed by Christ through and with the church. So whether that's protesting, you know, it's, it's um, uh, minimum wage policies or it's healthcare policies, how it like encourages their own employees to go out and find Medicare and Medicaid instead of just paying them a living wage, even while the Waltons are some of the most um, wealthy people in the world. Um, so it was created good. It's in need of uh, it's become corrupt and it's in need of redemption. And the angel is kind of like the the spirit of Walmart, both good and bad. Um, and so maybe, you know, and you think of like political cartoons, that would be the spirit or the angel of Walmart. Not Mr. Walton's soul, but the spirit of Walmart. And when I was reading Wink, as I was thinking about what it meant to be a Christian soldier, I thought of the military in that sense. And I, I didn't at the time, but I do very strongly now believe that the military is one such institution. The military was created good, it's become corrupt, and it's in need of redemption. 
was created good. Um, it was created uh, as a means of establishing order and uh, you know protection. Even in the Bible, military, um, and the military comes from milli second millimeter. Uh, it's a it's a unit of measurement. In the Old Testament, the hosts or the armies of Israel, they were uh, organized according to tribe, and it was as much a means of distributing land and resources as it was for standing up an army. So the military, I think, was created good, but it's become corrupt. We now have forever wars. There's no clear victory, and and people profit off of making war, Um, and that creates an incentive to remain at war indefinitely. It's become corrupt. And finally, it's in need of redemption. Um, It's not just going to magically become better. It requires the work of the church. Um, It requires the body of Christ for redemption. So some Christians think that the military is just horrible and evil and inherently bad. Some pacifists sometimes. Um, And I don't think that's true. I think it was created good. And in order for it to be redeemed, because it is corrupt, or it has become corrupt, um, in order for it to be redeemed, it requires the work of the body of Christ, individual Christians, and groups of Christians to um, create ways in which the, the, the angel of the military, the American military, might be redeemed and reflect more its intent and its creator um, than it does its corrupt state. So I think Christians should be in the military. I think Christians should enter the military. And I don't think there's any way for the military to be redeemed other than the participation of Christians. Um, But the question then is, you know, what does it mean to participate in the military's corruption? Is that simply picking up a weapon? Is it, you know, becoming uh, an infantryman grunt? Um, You know, what is, and those questions are really important. Um, and I, I think that the, the spirit of the military is determined by the people um, who are influential and even down to not very influential people. The military, I think, is this place that's much more complicated and nuanced than we often give it credit for. And this, this um, writer on nonviolence, who's also a professor at Auburn Seminary in New York, um, it, it, at least he helped me, and I hope that the ideas that he proposed, as I've presented them, have helped make sense for others um, to think more deeply and critically and honestly about both the good and the bad that the military has to offer um, and the things that the military has to learn from the church, but also the things that the church can stand to learn from the military. Prayer for the second week of Eastertide from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for falling into Pew Pew HQ's first formation. 
where we share morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support this podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation. You can sponsor morning prayer for pew pew people with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host yourself by recording a lectionary reading and sending it to me to be included in a weekday episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts can be found in earlier episodes, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in First Formation in this or any way. Finally, and maybe most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a voice message feature on Anchor's iOS or Android apps. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in morning prayers for Pew Pew people. I hope you will continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been and always will be Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.